What's up, you guys? You won't believe this, but it's like 11 o'clock at night and I can actually get to do voiceover work because everyone's sleep and the house is quiet. Although it's thundering outside, it's all good. Anyway, I just want to say a deep, sincere thank you to everyone who subscribes, who has reviewed on Apple Podcasts, if that's what you listen to, and also uh, rated and reviewed, I should say. And I just want to say thank you because you guys keep me honest, you keep me going. I will say and share that, gosh, this last month has kind of taken me out. I've lost weight. I've been like stress, but a good stress because there's so much going on and I can't wait to share it with you guys, but I just can't right now. But I want to share it with you when the time is right. And that's kind of taking me off my A game a little bit. So you guys call me out. You notice I didn't po- post a podcast last week. And so this week I'm giving you two for one. Boom. We'll start with today. Today's episode is with Valerie Baber. She is one to be reckoned with. She's got a great story of just perseverance and overcoming the odds and not letting society or even your parents dictate what your story should be. She wrote her own story and she's still writing her story and you're going to want to hear it. So that's coming up today on part one of the Real and Random podcast. And tomorrow, come back because that's that double for your trouble. Part two will be happening. Same time, same place, same channel, Real and Random podcast. Mark it down, share it because sharing is caring. You know, I say that. And again, thank you guys so much for being real on the Real and Random podcast. Without you, I can't be me and I want to be great. And you help me be great. And you also help me be accountable. So I can only give you a million thank yous. So with that being said, hit it. Let's take it from the top. Roll that theme music. That's so random. listening to the Real and Random Podcast. I'm your host, Rashida, aka Randomly Rashida. And today in the studio, I have with me Valerie Baber. And I'm so excited to have you, Valerie. After talking to you, I just thought your story was uplifting and motivating. And it's the quintessential story of don't judge a book by its cover. How about that? Oh boy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely don't. You never know what that book is loaded with. And in my case, (laughs) a bunch of stuff, a bunch of juice. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. I believe everybody has a story and I say it almost every podcast. And that's kind of my theme of this podcast is telling people's real stories. Because I think that if we see ourselves in others, we're A, going to be less judgmental and empathetic to others without being prejudgmental. So your role led you to the strip club. Right. That wasn't my dream. I don't think any little girl grows up thinking, I can't wait to be a stripper. Right. <laughs> um, but So I tried to get a real job, the only real job that my experience and my lack of education could get me. And I walked into a nightclub and, and restaurant and got a job as a hostess. And I thought I was sad. Okay, now I'm earning an income. I'm making $7 an hour to work five hours a night, three days a week. Good. I'm good. I've got an income. It didn't take me long to learn that seven bucks an hour for 15 hours a week was not going to pay my brand new LA size bills. And I was flipping out when the bills came and I, I couldn't pay them. I went to work. I was crying. The bar manager was there. 
and asked me what was going on. And I said, I just, I don't know what else to do. I can't go home. I can't call it quits. I'm not a quitter. I can't go home. There is no home. I don't have a place to go that I feel is safe and good and supportive. I have to make this work. I don't know what else to do. I wish that I could just like pose for Playboy. Maybe that would be the solution to my problems. And the bartender went, oh, you know, I don't know anyone at Playboy. But if you're not opposed to nudity, I can introduce you to a friend who owns a club. And dancers make a lot of money. Now, this was tough for me to swallow on one hand because I was raised very, very religious. We were going to church every Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday afternoon. And I went to vacation Bible school and I was raised to be very modest. And what would Jesus do? And I didn't think that Jesus would strip, but I also was faced with reality. Like, I don't really want to do this. I don't feel that it's the right thing for me to do. And if I don't do it, I can't eat. So I'm going to have a prayer, (laughs) ask God to get over it (laughs) and do what I need to do to survive. So I walked myself into the nastiest, shadiest strip club (laughs) in all of California. I'm sure I haven't been to them all, but I've been to a lot. And oh boy, that is not a place for a sweet girl fresh off the bus. But I made it happen. Yeah, it, it was tough. <laughs> and this is where I think sometimes the money gets caught up, right? And that's how, not to make a, a parallel, but when kids are dabbling in drugs and things like that, the fast money, the euphoric high of, I really didn't do much for it. And look at what I have. And that leads me to get these things I want. And it's like, woo. And you just, you lose uh, focus on like your whole sense of that guiding factor in every one of us that says, stop it. Like that's too much. We're at the edge. Don't do it back up. Right. You Mm -hmm. lose that because then people start coming towards you. So it went from the strip club and then you made it to the Playboy Mansion, didn't you? I sure did. I entered a contest. I was doing some glamour modeling. I'm getting naked anyway on stage. I might as well get naked on camera for little companies that nobody knows and they're probably never going to see my pictures. Um, <laughs> so I get, I get, yeah, <laughs> I get paid a lot more and I get treated like a princess with one of my agents who was representing me for the photos. He, I had a conversation. He said, hey, Playboy is doing this contest, Sexy Girls Next Door. That's you. Do you want to enter the contest? Like, sure. You know, I'm not blonde. I'm not skinny. I don't look like, like a playmate, but I'll do anything. I, I need to build something for myself. I'm the only one looking out for me, so I'll do anything. And I entered the contest and I ended up winning. And I worked for Playboy as a TV host for several years, which was actually a lot of fun, but definitely pushed my boundaries. Every time I pushed my boundary just a little bit, it felt easier to push my boundary a little bit further. Right. That consciousness like goes away and that self-consciousness, you just go, hey, I just got to keep it moving. (laughs) Right. I need work. And that was the work that was being given to me. And I did take real work too. I did work in marketing. I did like Budweiser girl stuff. So promotional model stuff. I went to golf courses and I was one of those girls behind the desk representing the brand of liquor and getting the golfers drunk while while they were out on the course. So we did things like that. 
But you said something very key too, because you said this all went over a span of years. You kind of get trapped because it's the only thing you know, it's not a real good resume booster. <laughs> yeah. And at some point, like you want to get out, but you have no resume and you're yay years old. And they're like, well, what'd you do for the last five or six years? Like, it makes no sense to say I did nothing. That's not going to fly. So you get trapped back into it. So now that we know where you are today, let's rewind a little bit and talk about all things California. Cause you wanted to be a California girl. <laughs> I sure did. After being born in Virginia, we actually did spend a couple of years at this place called 29 Palms, which is a military base in Southern California. And I wish my parents would have just stayed there, but then they took off to Oklahoma where their families were. So I spent 15 years in Oklahoma. And just for me, I know everybody has a different experience. I have a couple of friends from Oklahoma who liked growing up there and who liked going back, but it was a very different thing for me. And it felt just so desolate and, and narrow-minded, close-minded, strapped by Christianity, not a place where people are progressive, not a place where people think for themselves. There wasn't a lot of diversity there. There wasn't really anything there except for cows and <laughs> and oil rigs and churches. So for me, that just didn't do it for me. And I remember being about 14 years old, I was in the passenger seat. My mother was driving her Lincoln Mercury from my acting class back to our little apartment. And I was just staring out the window for the half hour drive, looking at fields of nothing, thinking, I'm going to get out of here as soon as I can. There's got to be more in life to this. And, you know, so many people who are young, they feel that need. I've got a 23 year old son right now. And he's like, I just want more. I got to, I got to go get this money. I got to be great. And he wants to take the fast road. And so some of you, from what we discussed, it sounds like you wanted to just get there. The how to get there part was not so thought out, but you just wanted to arrive. (laughs) I did want to just get there. I was tired of the pain and the boredom and the struggle that I had grown up with. I wanted change quickly. And I didn't have a support system to tell me how to realistically go about that change. My parents didn't want me to leave. They didn't offer me any reasonable alternatives. And they didn't tell me how I could leave as safely as possible or as wisely as possible. It was really you know, on my own. They were physically present, but checked out. So I didn't know what else to do. You know, yeah, I just went. I just went and said, I'm going to figure it out when I get there. Did you know anybody there when you got there? Or you just was like, I'm just showing up and I'll figure the rest out later? I was going to community college. I was taking a couple of classes at a community college. And in the computer lab, I looked for an apartment online and found a place that would let me reserve an apartment sight unseen. And then I packed all of my belongings in a car and I drove to California and just walked into this place that I've never seen with my online booking and every last penny that I had to my name. So yeah, I didn't know anyone. I had no family. I had no friends. I had an incomplete college education. I had no real work experience besides being a hostess at Red Lobster and the attendant at the tanning salon. I think most people, if they thought about the chances of thriving and surviving, 
And a situation like that would go, mm, maybe there's something I'm missing a few steps. Maybe I need to work to build something before I go out and take that leap. But I was 19 and I didn't know how to do anything else. So I just did it and brave and fearless and maybe crazy. So, <laughs> now, this is where the cautionary tale part comes in because you're there, you're pretty much broke in an apartment that probably isn't like five star for sure. <laughs> At 19, I can only imagine what that looks like, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and this is the part that's so important because I think a lot of young women in particular, they want something so bad, which is innocent and pure and, and wonderful. But sometimes the road to getting there looks a little tricky and a little different depending on who you are. And so I want to talk a little bit about your backstory from what we had in our pre-interview. And you mentioned that you had humble beginnings. Were you in Oklahoma, was it? Right. I was born in Virginia and we moved around a little bit because my dad was in the military, but I grew up primarily in Oklahoma. So I spent 15 of my formative years in the Bible Belt, the middle of nowhere. It sounds perfect. <laughs> no, not for me. <laughs> Where do I sign? <laughs> I'll trade you if right. you go back. <laughs> Definitely not a farm girl or a country girl. Her story goes further and it, it's compelling because you talk about realizing that you are more than what your circumstances were. You were more than the trailer. You were more than the fields. You were more than what you felt that area could bring you and you thought long and hard and decided I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to be something. And that took you to the streets of LA. Right. <laughs> Everybody goes when they have a dream, <laughs> right? That's right. Well, I thought about going to New York, but I couldn't quite afford New York. So I ended up in LA. Not that it wasn't also I was really say, challenging. You thought California was cheap? <laughs> really? <laughs> well, yeah, just less expensive than New York, but it was still tough. And I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah. So that's your two minute backstory. So I want to base this episode around positivity. So you mentioned that you're currently applying to get your PhD. And tell us about that. Right. So there are a couple of programs that I'm applying to for a PhD in clinical psych. I have been thinking about it for many years now. I spent about five years coaching. And during the entire time coaching, I thought I'd really like to step this up a notch or two and take it from coach to actual mental health worker or therapist. But in my late 30s and having just recovered from a ridiculous financial situation from a ridiculous student loan, just paying that off, I went, you know, I just don't know if it's the right time. I don't know if I can handle any more um, being a starving student. Maybe I just need to stick with coaching and be happy with it. But I just felt the calling to do more, be more, which has been sort of a theme throughout my life. Like, I can rise above and beyond this and I'm going to do it. Even though it's maybe late in life, even though I might have to take another loan, I want to be the most and I want to help the most people in the best way possible. And I feel that becoming a psychologist is going to be the way to do that. And I love how sometimes people's passions are driven by their life circumstances or their life stories. So my question becomes, you know, we think about the Jeffrey Epstein's and the R. Kelly factor these people with money and power and clout, and then there's these young, vulnerable girls. You know what you were doing, clearly you did, but you're caught between almost a rock and a hard place of, I can't get out of it, but I want to get out of it, but there's money. So what do you say to people who may be judgmental about the R. Kelly women or the Jeff Epstein women? What do you, what do you say about that? 
I think if they could choose their circumstances, they would not have been in a position where they felt that they had to choose that to begin with. So it's, hmm, that's tricky. I mean, are, they are victims, but they're victims more of circumstance than of the men who maybe they allowed to take advantage of them. Right. I know you said going back home wasn't an option and your family, that wasn't going to happen either. As you look back on it, do you wish you had have just been stronger and said, I'm getting out? Or do you wish someone could have guided you and said, just took you in and honestly took you in and said, you could do better than that. You know what I mean? I wish, I wish I had someone take me in. Now I did make friends with a woman who was 14 years older than me and she became my best friend. And my parents told me not to go to school because they didn't have the money to put me through school and I would have to take a loan, but they didn't think that I would ever have the kind of job that could pay back a student loan. So it's better for me to just get married and pop out some babies. So I asked her, yeah, oh yes. My parents did not want me to do anything that costs any money. So I asked her, well, what do you think about this? I feel like I need to keep going to school, but I'm afraid of taking out a loan. And she said, eh. That is the American way. And this is a woman who had just filed for uh, bankruptcy. There you go. Thank you. This is a woman (laughs) who filed for bankruptcy and she was very nonchalant about it, very casual. She was like, yeah, it'll hurt my credit, but in seven years, it'll be fine. I'll I'll get a fresh start. She was so casual about financial management that I found a little bit reckless. I thought, well, this is not the woman to be listening to. I don't think I should listen to my parents, but I also don't think that I should listen to this woman, but I didn't have anyone else. I wish I would have had a mentor. I wish I would have had someone step in and say, I see this girl is lost and she needs a reasonable, rational adult figure in her life. And I will be that for her. Now, I know that's a big ask. If I met someone like that, at this point in my life, I'm 40, I would want to nurture and help her. And I would also see that as something that maybe I need to stay away from because that's a, that's a chore, that's a task and it could get messy. <laughs> and they don't listen by the way, cause my son, he's off into some foolishness and it's part of the millennial effect too, by the way, but <laughs> and I, I'll never understand that mindset, but he, he's so convinced that his way is the right way and the only way that there's nothing I can say. And the more I say, it seems like the worse it gets. So I, I told my younger son today, I said, maybe I should just tell him, good job. That's awesome what you just did, even though I know it's foolery and ridiculous. But maybe, you know, just being ridiculous enough to say that, he'll go, now, why is she saying that? Now, she should know that's crazy. And then hopefully he'll hear his own self talking and he'll say, uh-huh. I'm, I'm really reckless right now, you know. Uh-huh. But it is. It's a rough place, even as an adult or for sure as a parent, when you see someone that's doing something wrong and trying to intercept, it can go a lot of ways. And sometimes it could go to the left. <laughs> so you're almost like, let me just see it, but not see it and turn a blind's eye. Right. Well, I wonder if those people, I wonder if they're asking the right questions. Maybe with your son, are you telling him, no, that's not the right way. This is the right way. Or are you opening up a conversation with him? Like, hey, I'm curious to understand why you think your way is the right way. Can you help me empathize with where you're coming from? And then maybe it would be a little bit easier to engage in conversation. Maybe he would be more open to you because he feels that you're coming from a place of wanting to you know, understand him as opposed to a place of wanting to punish him or be right. You know what I find? I think it's a lot of, and and we judge strippers and we judge the Cardi B's of the world and such. And 
I think sometimes a little bit of that has to do with just being hurt and broken. And then you're stuck and lost. And I'm no therapist by any means, but I do evaluate stuff and I try to look at it for more than what I'm seeing the underneath the layers and go see in your eyes you're hurt I can't fix your hurt I can't heal your hurt but I know you're hurt and and that's the place where I draw with my son in particular because I don't want to see him go off the rails I don't want to see him you know be a victim to police brutality and all those things and so I try to talk to the hurt in him and, and I think if more people would just genuinely just talk to that might take the guard down a little bit and then you can get more out of that, that interaction. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's why I'm so glad that we're talking about this. Cause I like how you're turning your pain into passion. You can actually take away from those moments in your life and say, you know what you, you talked about having conscious living. And so I want to talk a little bit about that and what does that mean and how you can find transformation in all of that. Yeah, well, we cannot run from our story as painful as it might be. It's going to haunt us. It's going to catch up with us no matter how fast we run, no matter where we go. And trying to deny it, pretending it's not there is only going to create more pain. And we deserve better than that. We've already suffered. So in owning our story, we disable and experience to continue to create pain. And when we stop that, we can start to heal and we can start to feel happiness. I think that my being able to have this discussion with you without fearing how others might react, without crying, without becoming angry about you know my upbringing is because I've had practice talking about it and I've been able to work through it and I've been able to process it and process it and process process some more as I say okay Valerie here's the mirror here's what it is just deal with it just deal with it so and that that took some work you know identifying that I have pain and I need to work with it is being conscious and then knowing that when anger does boil up inside of me and I want to start fights with people or throw things or hang up on my parents or, you know, do something that is impulsive and irrational and childlike. When I'm acting on my pain, that's not me. That's not who I am. And then I can do better than that. And then going out and seeking alternatives, that's conscious living, being aware of how other people see me, being aware of other people's pains and other people's struggles. That's conscious living. Knowing that being able to identify that stigma perpetuates pain and stigma when they judge somebody else off of a stigma of whatever it is they're doing or what situation it is they're in or who they've been with or what they're wearing, that holds us back. That comes from fear. That comes from a lack of education by projecting that fear and that hate and that judgment, we are chaining ourselves to a really ugly life experience and and a really nasty way of communicating with each other. We're allowing ourselves to be small and we should be growing and trying to help each other grow. Identify what it is that you're afraid of when you hear something about someone else that kind of makes you go, oh, I don't know about that girl. And then work through that. That's your thing, not her thing. Absolutely. That is conscious living. 
Yes. I just posted something today, as a matter of fact, and it said, accept no one's definition of your life, define yourself. Mm -hmm. And so often people will bring you down in order to make themselves look better. (laughs) And if you listen to that voice or your voice in your head isn't strong enough to overtake what they're saying, you'll start to believe that. And then you're now giving into the frenzy of what other people think of you or what they have labeled you to be when you know you're bigger and better than that. And that's what I like about you because you're like, I was not going to sit here and let mom and dad say, no, just go pop out some kids. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's more for me. Now the road to get into that more for me might've looked a little tricky along the way, <laughs> but there's always a lesson in the message. And that's the key. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Well, I won't say entirely, but <laughs> even the biggest drug dealer can turn himself around. I have to keep saying my son, he wants to be a rapper. And so in his mind, he's got this fictitious version of what TV has portrayed rappers to be. And he wants to live up to that and then some. I'm <laughs> just like, like, that's so 1990s. Like people aren't doing that right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's good to have goals. Yeah. It's good to dream big, but, but that's not. But make quite... it your own. Mm-hmm. You can be a rapper and you can take this thing to another level and be a trendsetter. Like what's wrong with that? Why go doing what Beyonce's doing? That's already been done. And they're going to judge you for it because they're going to know that you're trying to imitate her. So just be yourself. And that's the key. I think people need to be their authentic selves. And I like how you talk about the conscious living thing where you don't become afraid of your own story. And you can be okay with being able to say it without the hurt or the stigma or the the prejudgment from other people. And, And that's when you have evolved. And I like that. Well, that was interesting talking with Valerie. We learned a whole lot about like her life and and the importance I want you to walk away with is don't judge a book by its cover. You know, we all have heard the stripper stories of, oh, I'm here because I'm trying to pay for college. Well, actually some people actually, they really are trying to pay for college. It's so key in the, in the light of Chadwick Boseman that we don't judge people by what we see because we don't know what's going on on the inside, literally and figuratively. And she's got a great story. It's one that you wouldn't know looking at her. You might judge her one way, but the girl is smart. The girl is bad. And she's turning that pain into passion with the vengeance. And she's on her way to, actually, I won't tell you that because that's in part two. You have to figure out what she's got going on next. But the girl is intelligent and she's used all that she went through in the strip clubs and sex writing to get her master's in psychology. I affectionately call her um, a therapist in a thong, (laughs) but she has great stuff. And you know, that's when you're winning, when you have background knowledge and you've been there, done that, and you can speak from a, a genuine place. And that's what Valerie brings to the table. And I want you to take that all in and stay tuned because tomorrow we'll do part two of the Real and Random Podcast with my guest, Valerie Baber. Stay tuned. As I always say, your best and brightest days are ahead. This is Rashida, aka Randomly Rashida, and this has been the Real and Random Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, follow, share, and leave reviews and comments because we as podcasters, we like that sort of stuff. And I will catch you on the flip side. That's so random.